0: Jesus rode into the temple area, there were those that said, Hosanna to the Son of David. And then the children repeated that. Then Jesus went into the temple and He cleansed the temple. Then He cursed the fig tree. He also healed people that were sick. And then there were those who came to Jesus after all of these things. And they said, By what authority do you do these things? And Jesus said, well, let me ask you, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? If you answer that, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. They said, we cannot tell. Then Jesus said, well, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. But you see, the situation was obvious that they were not interested in seeking God's will. That's what authority really is about. The question they were asking is a good question if it came from a good motivation, but in their case it did not. So I want to talk about authority and what that means. How do we establish authority? Authority is really a way of saying permission and right what is right, what is wrong? How do we know what we're allowed to do, what we're not allowed to do? And how do we determine that? Well, ultimately, the only way to determine that is by what God has spoken in the Scriptures. And, but there are some other things that people tend to use as their standard of authority that are not a good standard to go by. And so we need to discuss some of these things. When we look at some false standards of authority, one that is often used by many people to determine right and wrong is by what their parents have taught them. And why the Bible does teach us to respect our parents. When you're in your parents' home, you obey your parents. That's right before the Lord. When you're grown, though, you must come to your own understanding of what God's Word has said. And sometimes when you may realize that what your parents may have taught you religiously may not be right. And in that case, you need to be willing to follow God. And we're told in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 21 that brother would deliver up brother to death. And we need to know that uh, there would be a division, that some people would kill one another, even in their own households, and some would even think they're doing God's service when they did that. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, Jesus said not to think that I came to bring peace on earth, but a sword. He talked about a man's enemies would be they of his own household. No doubt in the first century there were those who had realized that if they follow the Lord exactly as He stated in His Word, they're going to be disowned by their family. And each of us must come to that conclusion. We have examples even in the Old Testament. We have Manasseh, who was, who did more evil, committed abominations, brought abominations into the temple area. And because of Manasseh's evil, that he did, God decided to, because of that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. He's going to send them into captivity, into the Babylonian. Area, but Hezek, I'm sorry, Manasseh's son Josiah did not follow the pattern of his father. He, they found the book of the law in the house of God. Imagine that, and he started reading and realizing, "Uh-oh, we have not been following what God had said." And so they decided to start doing that. And what that meant was something very different than what his father had been doing. He had to get rid of the impurities that his father had brought into the temple. He had to get rid of those things and change those things, start implementing things that his father had not been doing. You see, if he had just simply followed it because that's the way daddy always did it, he would not have been right before God. And so must we. We've got to each stand on the faith based upon the Scripture if we want to be right with God. And if that means that I realize that God's Word says one thing, my parents say another thing, then I've got to follow God. And so our parents aren't really the standard of right and wrong when it comes to how to worship, when it comes to which, what, what the church is supposed to be, when it comes to things that we are supposed to do in the body of Christ. No, parents are not the standard. Oftentimes when uh, parents are hypocritical and maybe they're uh, saying, do as I say, not as I do, and then the children grow up and they see the hypocrisy and then they go astray and then sometimes they're wondering why. Why How did I mess up? Well, sometimes it's that these children just simply did not stand on a faith based upon the Lord. And so each generation must make that determination. You have the example of Joshua, where the people followed God all the days of Joshua, but then when Joshua died, in the very next generation, there arose a generation that knew not God. And so we're just one generation away from apostasy, if you think about it that way. There's no guarantee that if if I follow God, that that means absolutely that my children will. I hope they will. I want to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I don't want them to depart from it. But I also believe they have a free will of their own. I pray that they stay faithful. But in the event that maybe I am mistaken, I hope they'll follow God instead of me. And I hope they don't do it just because I said it, but because God says it. And so we each need to follow God even more than our parents. Jesus said, If a man come to me and hate not his father and his mother, his wife, his children, yea, in his own life also, he cannot not be my disciple. We've got to follow the Lord first. And so parents and family, those are not the standard by which we determine which church is right or right and wrong. Nor do we determine the standard by our own conscience. You know, your conscience is that voice and that inside your head, and that whether you feel guilty or feel good about the things that you're doing. And while the conscience is a guide, it's not a foolproof guide. People say, let your conscience be your guide. Well, let's look at biblically uh, what does the Bible say about this. You should not go against your conscience. However... Your conscience is only as good as it's trained to be. You can do wrong and your conscience not bother you. You can have your conscience seared. If you do wrong, maybe the first time you might feel guilty and then the next time you may be a little less guilty. You keep doing that. After a while, you tend to become calloused or you could. And just because you get to a point where it doesn't bother you anymore, that doesn't mean that it's not wrong. On the flip side, if you're taught all your life that something is wrong, but maybe God's Word hasn't taught that it's wrong, but then you do it, it might feel wrong to you, but it may not be wrong. And so the only way to really know whether something is right or wrong is whether God's Word has said it. If your conscience bothers you or doesn't bother you, that's not a foolproof method because Paul in Acts chapter 23 made this statement. In reference to his previous life as a Pharisee, he was persecuting Christians. And in the process of that, he said he did it with a good conscience in Acts 23.1. That didn't make it right just because he had a good conscience when he persecuted Christians. I think he had a good conscience when he held the coats of the men who took the rocks and threw it at Stephen's head until Stephen died. He did that in a good conscience. That didn't make it right. Later in Acts chapter 26, Paul stood before authorities explaining why he believed what he now had come to see, that Jesus is the Christ. And he's telling them that I was wrong about my previous assumptions. But he also goes on to say that whenever he did these things in his previous life when he was persecuting Christians, he said, I thought with myself that I should do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In Acts 26, verse 9, he goes on to talk about how he put men and women in prison and how he did all of these things because that's what he thought he was supposed to do. You can think what you're doing is right, and you can be so confident in it. Have you ever done that where you're like, no, this is right, that's wrong, and I know it, and we say it like it's matter of fact. But then when I start looking and digging deeply, and I realize, okay, okay, but if I'm honest, I was wrong about that. That's why we need to be careful about being too arrogant about our assumptions. And anytime we think something is right or wrong, maybe maybe that's our, that's what way we've always done it, or maybe that's what we've heard someone else say. or or maybe it just feels that way to us, whenever we do that, what we need to do is we need to ask for the book, chapter, and verse and say, why is it I believe that again? Why is it we do it that way again? Is that what the Scripture says? And is that what that means in that context? That's what I need to do. And so you can't really go by your conscience as a foolproof method. I do believe we should respect that part. Like if, you, if you're doubting whether or not something is right or, wrong, right or wrong, don't go ahead and go against your conscience willingly. That's a dangerous thing. And, and, and what you need to do is stand still until you find the Scripture that gives you the permission before you go on and do that thing. And then you act presumptuously. But just because you feel good or you feel bad about something, that in and of itself does not mean that it's right or wrong. Notice also that the number of people that do a thing, that doesn't make it right or wrong. Sometimes people say, well, how can all of these people over here that believe this way, how can that be wrong when so many people believe that way? And yet we find in Matthew chapter 7 that Jesus taught that there's a broad way that leads to destruction. And many there go in that go in there at you take the majority of people are on that Broadway, and the majority of people are headed to destruction. The majority of people are lost, and so you can't go by the majority when you're determining right and wrong. You remember that whenever The people of Israel, at the period of the end of the judges, they wanted to be like the nations around them. First Kings eight, and what first yeah first Samuel eight, and what happened is is they they said we we want a king like the nations about us, and that was wrong because God didn't want them to be like everybody else. He separated them to be a special people, trying to imitate the rest of the world and try to fit in and try to be what everybody else does or caring what the majority thinks is not the best way to determine right and wrong because the majority may be wrong on an issue. In fact, if if everybody's doing a thing, we should stop and ask ourselves and be suspicious and say, is it possible that since everybody's doing this that maybe this might not be the best way? we find examples of how the truth is unpopular. How many cases in Scripture where someone or a small group did the right thing and the majority did the wrong thing? You have only eight on the ark. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, he talked about how God's long-suffering was there when, while He was allowing Noah to prepare the ark. And he says there were few. And what's the Bible example of few that he gives? There were only eight that were saved by water. In Acts, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 3 and verse 20. That's few. If there were only eight on the ark, and everybody else, the majority, died in the flood, that should make you want to question the majority. When it comes to religious matters, when it comes to right and wrong. You shouldn't say, well, everybody believes this thing, so therefore it must be right. That's what I've been taught all my life. No, question the assumption and say, where's the Scripture? That would be the better question. You can't go by the majority. Sometimes the few are the ones that are correct. Notice also that you can't go by what some preacher or what some religious leader says to determine right or wrong. Not before God, because many times preachers are wrong. Many times there are those who might be wrong or right on other on some things might be wrong on other things. If a preacher is educated, and let's say he knows a lot, that doesn't mean he knows everything. And so we need to make sure. How many times did Jesus speak to those who were supposed to be experts in the law? And He would ask them, have you not read what the law had said? Or did you never read? And He had them, oftentimes, they, they misunderstood some of the, even the most basic principles in the law that they should have known. He told the religious leaders, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. There are oftentimes people who think they have it figured out. And oftentimes the ones that some people look up to are very mistaken. In 2 Corinthians 11, we find that there are those who have the appearance of being right. Even Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And so we shouldn't be shocked or surprised if his ministers do something similar. In Second Peter chapter 2, he says that there were false prophets among the people. Either there shall be false teachers among you. And he says, many shall follow their pernicious ways. they have got a lot of people following their teaching. But they end up teaching things that cause themselves and others to be lost. And so you can't go by what some preacher or some religious leader says. Even if the person looks and acts like they love you and they're kind, religious leaders might have a great personality but teach things that are very dangerous. And so you can't go by simply what a person says. We need to go by what the Bible says. We need to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 who took the things that Paul was teaching and they searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. You and I need to be like that, where just because a person says it and just because I like that person and just because I respect that person, that does not mean that they're right. People are often running to commentaries. And they're saying, here's here's a well-respected commentary. That's what this commentary says about this subject. And if I go by that, whatever their interpretation is, because I look up to that person in the commentary, I could be following someone who's mistaken. And if I get enamored with the idea, well, he knows Greek, or he knows Hebrew, or he knows a lot about all other things, or he has a great following, or he's taught a lot of people, or he's baptized a lot of people. None of that really matters. He's still a man. And even Paul himself, when he wanted people to believe, he didn't want them to believe because that's what he said. He wanted them to believe because that's what the Holy Spirit had told him. And that was through the authority given by God, not because of what what he himself was doing. And that's why oftentimes he would say things like, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. We're not trying to make converts to ourselves and to certain leaders. And how oftentimes do people put some leader up on a pedestal? They look to a certain man. They call him a man of the cloth. They give him a flattering title. And, and what, what, what happens whenever you that, so many people follow those religious leaders? And then what happens whenever those leaders mess up really bad? And then those people's faith are destroyed because their faith was really in that man and not in the Lord. And honestly, your faith should be in Jesus so that no matter what some religious leader does, even if that religious leader was to make a mistake, that you're still bound to the Lord and that you're still going to follow the Lord no matter what others do. We're told in Acts chapter 20 that there would be those And Paul Paul warned the elders at Ephesus to beware that there would be wolves that would enter in even among you, not sparing the flock. And so we're given that warning. And so sometimes it could even be among us. It could even be among those that we respect. We need to make sure that we're not just doing it because a well-respected brother said it. We need to do it because God said it. We don't need to do it just because that's the way we've always done it. That's not the the right standard. You know, a tradition in and of itself may not be bad in and of itself. We might have a certain order of services that we followed this morning. That may not be wrong and bad in and of itself. But if by chance we were to change the certain order of that, as long as we didn't break some other principle, that would not be wrong either. But if we felt like it was wrong because it's not what I'm used to, well, that would be binding something or that would be misunderstanding and thinking that it has to be a certain way. We need to be careful about making our traditions the standard of God and confusing those things. The Pharisees were good about this sort of thing. In Matthew 15, they're questioning Jesus. Jesus had refused to follow a certain practice and habit that the Jews had. Now you might think, well, what was so bad about this habit where they had this ceremonial washing of hands before they ate? And Jesus didn't do it. And so they thought, how come you're not doing what the elders do? This seems wrong that you're not doing that. How come you're not doing that? And so Jesus says, well, how come you're not following God when God commanded certain things? but that you're binding this man-made tradition. In effect, what you've done is you you have made your religion vain, and thus have you made the command of God in effect by your tradition. And so what's strange is, is that they got all upset, hot and bothered that Jesus didn't follow this man-made tradition, but yet they wasn't so quite upset whenever there were those who were actually breaking some of the commandments that God said. Like God had said, honor your mother and your father. But they had had this little tradition of some way that if you gave to the temple, then maybe that would relieve you from that responsibility. So they're upset about the wrong thing, and that's what happens with these traditions. People get uh, intensified and they think you've done something wrong because you didn't do it the way we've always done it. Well, first ask, is that the way you have to do it? Is that the way we, if, if God said we must do it that way, then okay, that settles that. But if that's not the only way to do it, then why do I need to be uh, making that a standard? Same thing. Let's say there are certain areas of our own personal scruples. If I decide I want to fast today, let that be between me and God. But if I start making that a tradition, if I start saying, well, I'm going to start fasting on Sundays, and I think you ought to start fasting on Sundays, that's a good thing for me to do. It's a good thing for everybody to do. Everybody ought to be doing that, because that's what I'm doing. Well, after a while, what happens is, that I'm now binding my own personal thing upon you, and that would be wrong. And this is how these traditions get started. And so what's strange about some of the traditions is, is that people forget how they originated. You've heard of the example of the of of the uh, granddaughter who's asking her her mother, why, why do you always cut the end of the ham whenever you you cook it? She said, I don't I don't. That's the way my mom always did it. So she asked her mother, why do, why do you always do it that way? She says, I do it because I need to help it fit in the pan. It's the size of my pan, so I cut the end of the ham off. But here's the daughter who's following her mother and never stopped to realize why, but she just thought that's the way she always did it. That's the way it's got to be done. Sometimes that happens in religion. I've heard of an example of like years ago before there was air conditioning that you would have uh, issues of flies and such, so... They put a white sheet over the Lord's Supper items in order to try to keep flies out. Well, I guess after uh, air conditioning, I don't know if that's exactly how it happened, but at least that's the way the story gets tell, so, told. But some people got all upset because, oh, how come they took the white sheet off? That You're disrespecting the Lord's Supper. That, that, that's the way it felt to some. We're used to seeing this white sheet. That gives a... Some kind of a significance and glory to it, but since you're not covering it with a white sheet, now it looks like you're diminishing the importance of it. When in reality, there was a purpose behind that white sheet to begin with. I suppose you know we're used to putting the items on a table of some sort, but if let's say let's say if we didn't have that item of furniture there, but let's say it was in the back and we went to the back to grab it and you didn't even see the table sitting there before you, would that necessarily be wrong? This is where people get a little confused. I'm just using an extreme example to show what is bound, what's not bound. We'll get into a little bit more specifics about that, uh, Lord willing, perhaps in future studies, but for now I just want you to see, though, that just because you've always done something a certain way doesn't mean that's the way it has to be done. We actually find in Acts chapter 8 that everyone in Samaria, from the least to the greatest, had followed Simon the sorcerer. And they had done that for a long time. That didn't mean it was right just because everybody did it and just because they did it for a long time. Everybody in that case were wrong. <laughs> uh, it doesn't make it right or wrong simply because that's my personal desire. Proverbs fourteen twelve. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Something can just feel right and seem right. Your human logic might think it's right. That doesn't make it right. How many times does God give us instructions that goes against our own human reasoning and logic? When God told the Israelites to march around Jericho, once a day for seven days, then on the seventh day, seven times. Logic would say that's not a very good military strategy. But God said, do it this way. Well, somebody said, well, it seems to me that it would be better if, if we got out our catapults and we just started launching. Well, that's not the way God said to do it, though. And so whatever your personal desire, whatever your human reasoning is, whatever feels right, we know that Jeremiah 10:23 says, O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We don't have the way of right and wrong within ourself. We only know that by what God has told us. And we don't learn that by our own feelings. We get gut feelings of right and wrong. This, I get a little tug of emotion, and I, and I think that's the way I ought to do it. That doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's right because I'm excited about it. It doesn't mean it's right because i got a, a real enthusiastic passion about it. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't make it right. You know, Paul talked about some who had a zeal but not according to knowledge. You can be very enthusiastic about something that's wrong, When men get very enthusiastic and passionate about putting a bomb on their chest and then blowing innocent people up, they might have been passionate about it. They might have felt strongly about what they were about to do. That didn't make it right. Sometimes people say, this feels so right, it can't be wrong, while they're committing some act of immorality. Your feelings do not determine right and wrong. You can feel good while doing wrong. And what some church does or what some denomination does doesn't make it right or wrong. Uh, a group of people do not set the standard of right and wrong. No synod, no council of men, no, no group at all determines right and wrong. The only thing that determines right and wrong is God's Word. In 1 Timothy 4, we're told to preach the Word... Because there would come a time when there would be those who would not endure sound doctrine, and so we need to be aware of that. And by doing that, they heap up teachers having itching ears. And and, and we need to also know that in First Timothy four, there were doctrines of devils. There were doctrines of men who teach and bind certain things, like uh, celibacy for for uh, religious leaders. That's not taught in Scripture or things that you can't eat meat. You can eat meat if you want. You can not eat meat if you want. As long as you're respecting other people's consciences and you're not despising and judging each other, uh, as long as your attitudes are right about that. But binding these principles upon other people, that's wrong. And just because churches have done that, that doesn't make it right sometimes people think uh, something is right because they think, look at the good that comes from it. The end justifies the means. If we get people together and we do this and then we see the good that comes from it, well, therefore it must be good. Well, do you realize, though, that there are sometimes so-called good things may happen in spite of the fact that the way you did it might have been wrong? When Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, they did wrong. God then allowed Joseph to be elevated into a governing position later to save those people that sold him into slavery. That didn't mean that them selling him into slavery was right. Uh, the end does not justify the means. God did m- performed mercy and performed His and was faithful to His promise to Abraham in preserving that lineage alive in spite of their wrong. We can do wrong, and good may come of it. We could teach something that's wrong. Somebody else could do right in spite of us doing wrong. I could raise my children in such a way that God's not happy with me, and if my children choose to do right, that doesn't mean that every way that I raised my kids was right. Hopefully we can understand that. The end does not always justify the means. If a lot of people attend a a church service, that doesn't mean everything done in that church service was right. If a lot of people read a certain book, that doesn't mean that book is right. If, If people obey God while doing something that's wrong on another area, that doesn't mean that area that people think that's what led them to it is, is what's right. And then finally, I'll leave you with this one, that a creed does not determine right and wrong. When the, A creed is a, a book or a standard or articles of faith or some document of men that says, this is why we as a church believe this. Well, here's what's happened with that. People look at those creeds or those articles of faith. We believe this. What happens after a while? See, that, that whatever's in that might actually be okay. It's possible that what's written in that may not necessarily be wrong. But what happens over time is people think that's the standard instead of the scripture. Well, if, now, now they're following it because their articles of faith says it or because their creed says it, not because the Bible says it. And here's the, ultimately the question. is that if, if a creed does not say all that the Bible says on a subject, then it doesn't say enough. If it says more than the Bible says on that subject, then, then it says too much. And so ultimately you really don't need the creed. And here's ultimately the, another problem with it is that you would never learn to just be a Christian by following some manual or some creed or some book of men. You learn how to be a member of that denomination by following that creed or that, de, that uh, church manual, but you don't learn how to be a member of a denomination by following just the Scripture. And so I'm pressing upon us to realize that if you really want to know what's right, what's wrong, we've got to read for ourselves in the Word of God. That is the only right pattern of right and wrong. Not all of these things. And hopefully uh, that's clear to you. If you want to follow the Lord this morning and you want to be right with Him and you want to see ultimately that you want to see Him on Judgment Day and Him say, enter in, thou good and faithful servant, then the only way that you know how to, how to be right with Him is by God's Word that says, repent and be baptized. Not that some preacher said some other plan of salvation. Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's right because that's what Peter said through the Holy Spirit who inspired him to say that. And Luke wrote it down for us, have been inspired to write that down for us. And that's right because it's in God's Word, not because I said it. That's right because God inspired that. Won't you follow that? And if you're a Christian, who are you really following? Make sure it's God and not these other standards. Whatever your need is, won't you come while we stand and as we sing?